So this evening we come finally to the first of the four essential verses, seed verses of the Bhagavatam, Chatushloki, four verses, as they've been referred to by the Gaudiya Acharyas. And uh, again, these, in one sense, are the origins, uh, represent the origin in this world of the great message of Srimad Bhagavatam. And it's useful to explore them, plumb the depths of them, in that the Bhagavad is, we have it as a large book of over 18,000 slokas. It's rather complex, and it's now in a particular setting, as we have it, a Puranic setting. And in order for it to have been presented in this way by, by Vyas, different things are, in, are included and and um, sometimes it's a little, we find that devotees have a hard time figuring out what's essential and what's not. So to go to these four verses is it's useful, as I say, and it comes to the underlying um, philosophy, theology of the, of the Bhagavatam, which then can be applied in different times and circumstances. And is well, I mean to say universally applicable, as it should be. So, aham evasam evagre, Krishna said, nanyad yat sadasat param paschadaham retacca yo vashishyeta sosmi aham. Prabhupada's translation. Brahma, it is I, the personality of Godhead, who is existing, who was existing before the creation, when there was nothing but myself, nor was there the material nature, the cause of this creation. That which you see now is also I, the personality of Godhead, and after annihilation what remains will also be I, the personality of Godhead. So Prabhupada has embellished the translation a little bit with his um, purport, and of course he gives a lengthy purport, which I'm sure you've all studied. So let's analyze the verse, but before doing so, let's uh, again reflect upon where we can uh, find it in terms of uh, its application or its, uh, its usage in terms of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Leela. We have discussed the fact that this verse and the other three verses of the Chatur Shloka, including the two introductory shlokas that we've already discussed, are found in the Adi Lila of Chaitanya Charitamrita, where Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami is explaining Guru Tattva. So they were, they were, rendered, they were cited there in reference to that. And we discussed how they have their application um, to that, how they apply to that principle of Guru Tattva Krishna being the Antar, Antaryami, the Guru, and enlightening Brahma from within his heart and so forth. And we also discussed how these verses are found in Chaitanya Charitamrita in Madhya chapter 25, when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is conversing with the sannyasis at uh, in Banaris, who were my bodies. By that time, they had been converted, and they he had created a, this interest in them to know that after all, they were Vedantists. So they were defeated by Mahaprabhu's by ignoring them, he, he created interest in them, piqued their interest, and it created a t- teachable moment. Then he said a few things, and, and they were converted. They were largely converted for that matter by his action, by his activity, which was when being invited, again, he first ignored them, didn't want to come. But on, on the insistence of his devotees, who were feeling um, considerable discontent given that Mahaprabhu was being vilified by these sannyasins uh, who were questioning him as a sannyasi. What is he doing? Dancing and singing emotionally in the streets with a band of followers and, and so forth. So they really wanted Mahaprabhu to let him know what, what the truth of this whole matter was and what, what it really meant to be a sannyasin and so forth. And so ultimately he arranged for himself to be invited as the Amdriyami, as the Paramatma in everyone's heart. And upon being invited, he, after having ignored for something, he came. And what did he do? He sat down where the sannyasins would wash their feet before entering the temple. 
there and um, didn't come directly in their assembly. And they said, why are you sitting there like this? And of course, he was showing extreme humility, example of humility to people who were a little bit proud, so proud as to think that they had become God. Um, and at that time, his, his, the tejas, the jyoti, delight of Brahman, that they were so infatuated with the idea of, of, of merging with, appeared, as it is, to be the halo of Bhagavan Chaitanya. And so they were, they were astounded by this and had to think again, who is the person from whom the halo that we are interested in, that we think is everything Brahman has, has come from. And of course, then he taught them. And having been taught, so forth, uh, that that's found in earlier chapter, seventh chapter of Madhya Leela, this Leela is again revisited in the 25th chapter of the Madhya Leela. And it is there that after discussing with the Mahaprabhu and glorifying him, Prakashananda Sarasati asked for some. After all, they were jnanis, so they had this tendency to you want to hear some, some Vedanta, something, uh, your, your idea of Vedanta, a little bit more, something like that. So they, and Mahaprabhu spoke, and he spoke on these four, four verses in terms of their representing Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojan. Uh, relational knowledge, what's what, what am I in relation to the world, and the world in relation to God, and so forth and having understood that what to do about it, which is bhakti, and what will be the result, love of God, praying. And so there he gave a wonderful explanation, but it's also, we haven't mentioned the fact that this particular verse of the four verses is also cited in another place in Chaitanya Charitamrita. And that was in the context of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's satisfying the intellectual and spiritual curiosity of Sanatana Goswami. Mahaprabhu teaches Sanatana Goswami the whole, his whole doctrine, if you will. You know, he gives Sanatana Goswami the teachings from which the doctrine of Gaudiya Vaishnavism would be established. Just like we were listening last night on it. We have a movie night every Friday night. So uh, last night we watched a video of Pujapad Sridhar Marsh um, talking with myself and uh, Vishnu Maharaj and Sringa Maharaj and Sadhu Maharaj, primarily. And, as you may recall, in that discussion I asked him the question that um, Mahaprabhu received sannyas mantra from Keshava Bharati, Tattva Masi. But the mantra that we receive from our Guru Parampara is different than that. So what is the history of that mantra? And we knew that Bhaktisiddhanta, uh, this was quite some years ago, of course. You all know now. <laughs> but um, Bhaktisiddhanta was quite revolutionary and established different, um, was innovative, I should say. So I, we had been discussing it, sannyasis, earlier in the day. So where this change comes, has come from Bhaktisiddhanta, Sarasthitaka, and so forth. And Pujapatridamash understood my question, and he said, no, it is coming from... Mahaprabhu has taught Sanatana Goswami, and, and Sanatana Goswami then wrote Hari Bhakti Bilas, and there you'll find all the mantras for the Gaudiya Vaishnavas, all the decorum, the, the behavior of Vaishnavas, how they should conduct themselves, all the vidhi for the Gaudiya Vaishnavas, based on references from different texts and so forth. He's compiled that all in, in Hari Bhakti Bilas. So in effect, he, he really established the structure I call him sometimes the architect of Gaudiya Vaishnava Sampradaya, Sanatana Goswami, based on the teachings he received from, from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, at any rate, these teachings are all related here in Chaitanya Charitamrita, a very important section, covers about three chapters. And um, after Mahaprabhu had more or less completed his instructions, Sanatana Goswami, being a learned person, it's a real um, burden to be a, a you know a learned person, or to have to that intellectual curiosity can be a real a real burden. Anyway, he was such big scholar of the Bhagavat Sanatana Puru. He used to before joining Mahaprabhu keep himself in an assembly of 
of, uh, of pundits, and he would lead the discussion on Srimad Bhagavatam. So that proclivity for, for knowing and understanding scripture and so forth, he was, he was possessed of that. Of course, he's a bhakta, but as we know, bhakti is, uh, is not without introspection and, uh, and not without, without knowing, not without gyan. Janiyati ashubhairagyam gyanam chai bhoitukam. Janiyati ashubhairagyam vasudevi bhagavati bhakti yoga prayotita. Janiyati ashubhairagyam gyanam. Very quickly, immediately, by becoming a bhakta, knowledge and its corollary detachment comes. These are the maidservants of bhakti. I've told the story before how once I was lecturing in, uh, in San Francisco, to some, this was many years ago, but a yoga yoga community, community of yoga practitioners, and I gave a learned lecture, if you will. And after the lecture, the one of the fellows in the crowd said to me, "That uh, you know, for a bhakti, you sure got a lot of janana." <laughs> and I said, "I said, yeah, bhakti is not without gyan." <laughs> so he was uh, from the Janana Yoga <laughs> school. Which, uh, my perception, of, after I spoke with him more, he was more like from the Banana Yoga school than the, from the Janana Yoga. Just a kind of a mushy idea. And of course, we're supposed to be the sentimentalists, the bhaktas, and so forth. So, no, bhakti is not without gyan. In fact, mm, uh, when Krishna says in Gita that I'm going to give you the highest knowledge, Rajabhijam, Rajukuyam, secret, secrets, then he, he, when he gives it, what does he say? It seems so simple. Manmana, Bhavamadvarto, Madhyaji, Manmanaskaru. Love is the highest knowledge, he said. When you love, then in love there is knowing. There's a kind of essential knowing that is unburdened by information, and which sometimes passes off as knowing. When you love, then you know what to do. The love is pregnant with knowledge. It is the end of knowledge. Knowledge is, what is the value of knowledge, for that matter? It's, it's not applied. Love is the application. An ultimate knowing. So, bhakti is not without knowledge. And Sanatana Prabhu, he was learned. Uh, not that unlearned or intellectually less inclined devotees are not learned. They're learned in essential, as I said, but he was also learned as a scholar. And so after being enlightened by Mahabharata with all of his instructions and blessed by him and so forth, still he had that learning kind of curiosity, which is, as I say, can be a burden for us. And so he wanted to know. I heard, he said, that previously, when you enlightened that a logician, scholar, well-known scholar, Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya, that you explained the Atmarama verse of Srimad Bhagavatam in 60-some in different ways. So I was wondering if you could... That sounds really interesting. Could you... You've piqued my interest. Could you repeat that? Could you tell me that explanation? That seems superhuman and extraordinary. Mahaprabhu said something in effect, uh, I, in madness I said something. In madness I instructed my Siksha Guru. This is how he felt. In madness I gave instructions to my own Siksha Guru. Just see. Mahaprabhu considered Sarvam Bhattacharya to be his, his Siksha Guru. He, after all, very elderly. In comparison to Mahaprabhu, was just a young lad. His father was the uh, uh, close friend of Jagannath Mishra's father. And uh, so they were like, they had some homeland Nadia connection. Of course, Sarvam traced this out by inquiring from Mahaprabhu, who revealed something about his Puva ashram, his previous ashram before he had taken sannyas. So he had natural affection for him on that basis. And of course, his beauty, his charm, and so forth as well, and his youth. And the idea that a young man just just had just turning 25 would renounce the whole world. It was, it was astonishing to him, and and he wanted to be of assistance. Of course, this was his thinking, 
And it was with that spirit that he, he invited Mahaprabhu to, to be, be instructed about Vedanta, a position, an invitation that the other devotees took objection to. How can you instruct him? He's Bhagwan. And, of course, Sarvapama wasn't quite sure about that. and uh, what But anyway, Mahaprabhu consistently kept this uh, outwardly this spirit and this mood in relation about the charge of Sarvabhoma. He's like my Siksha Guru. When he went south, he asked him, yes, please instruct me. He, he took it that it is on your order, Sarvabhoma. I am going to meet Ramananda Roy. He met his Ragmar Guru, the Ramananda, on the order of of uh, Sarvabhoma. Sarvabhoma really said, in love, he said, I've, I've never met... Uh, anyone like you, but there's someone I met now that I think about it who I could never understand before. But you and he got something in common. Now that I've understood something about you, I know that what he's talking about, which never made any sense to me, and I'm a big scholar, such as the nature of Prem, as we heard the other night, it is rasya, it is mysterious. It cannot be known by scholarship alone. Sarvama was a big scholar, but whenever Ramananda Warai would talk, he would think, this guy doesn't make any sense. I can't figure him out. But when he actually was converted by Mahaprabhu, then he could understand, oh, these two, Ramananda and Sarvama, and Mahaprabhu, they have something in common. Meet with him. This is my request. Sarvama was thinking, this will be good. You will be, he will, he will enjoy this, his company. And of course, as they say, Mahaprabhu took it as the order of my Siksha Guru. I've come to seek out Ramananda. This was his humility. So he told Sanatana, in a moment of madness, I said, I tried to instruct my Siksha Guru. I hope nothing bad will come of it. So I cannot remember what I said then, and why should I want to? But if you like, because I like you, because I love you, and I'll tell you something. I'll say what I can say at this point. Then they gave another, some, whatever, 60 explanations of... So in the context of giving that, this verse is cited. This is the, so the third place we find in Gaurlila, as represented by Krishna's Kabiraj Goswami, that the, this first verse of the Chatur Shloka is found. And if we are to understand these verses of Bhagavatam, any verses we shall always first, as I've said before, look to Gaurlila and see how they were used there, if they were used. This is, of course, another way of understanding what is the essence of of Srimad Bhagavatam. We've gone to these four shlokas for the sake of seeking out the essence of Bhagavatam. But this is another way to do so. Srimad Bhagavatam is the king of scriptures and Chaitanya Charitamrita is the emperor. We say, Grantaraz Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai and Granta Samrat Chaitanya Charitamrita ki jai. So uh, there you find as much as Bhagavatam is the distilled essence of all revealed sound, revealed scripture, Chaitanya Charitamrita is the distilled essence of Srimad Bhagavatam. So the slokas that are cited there, the Praman shlokas and Chaitanya Charitamrita, the book should be made of those. Take all the Praman shlokas of the Bhagavat slokas of Chaitanya Charitamrita and string them together. That would be a useful uh, exercise. So again, if we want to understand Srimad Bhagavatam at the heart of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we'll go to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So this, again, then, is the third place in which this first verse of the uh, Chattusloki is found in Gaurlila. Mahaprabhu, in context of explaining the Atmarama Shloka, what he did was he first expla- explained each word of the verse. Atmarama Shloka, of course, is the famous verse in which it comes in the seventh chapter of the first canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, where Sutta Goswami is explaining the experience, the inner experience of Vyas that gave rise to the final edition, if you will, of, of Srimad Bhagavatam. The trance of Vyas, Samadhina Nusmara Tadvicheshtitam, Narada told him. Narada is giving him instructions. There we have the Narada Bhagavat. Here we have the we call it the Brahma Bhagavat, where Krishna is speaking to Brahma. In the context of, of Krishna speaking to Brahma, Brahma is explaining this to Narada. So Narada is being enlightened. And Narada then enlightened Vyas in his uh, moment of despondency after compiling all the literatures and feeling yet uh, in unfulfilled. 
about 12 slokas there, sometimes referred to as the Narada Bhagavata. We shall go like this from one to the next. So trace out what is the essence of Srimad Bhagavatam. In that context, then, we find, having given the instructions, he gave, what is Bhagavat? He gave permission to Vyas. He said, you are Satya, you are Suchi, you are Srava, Satya. You have certain qualifications. You are Satya Vrat, you are committed in your vows, and you are clean internally and externally, and uh, you're well known for this. It's an important point. Not anybody can sit down and do samadhi. <laughs> I wrote an article for the Ananda magazine in Finland. Well, it's about uh, this point that, that the yoga system we have, of course, starts with yama and yama and ends with samadhi. But no one can just sit down first and do samadhi. You have to go through the whole, whole system. So it is true with our, in our Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Not everyone can just sit down on day one and just uh, meditate on Krishna Leela. Vyasa had certain qualifications, and in a, in a general way, they're, they were they're mentioned and emphasized by Nard. And having such, he said, I give you my blessing. Samadhi nanusmarata vijeshtitam. Sit down in samadhi, meditate. And of course, there. All of uh, the truth of Golok was, and Krishna Lila was revealed to him. Again, all the Sambandha, Abhideya, Prajna, all found there as well. So in the context of that description of Sutta Goswami, of the trance of Vyasa and what it consisted of, this Atmarama Shloka comes. And it's Itam Bhutaguno Hari, it tells us, such is the nature of the wonderful qualities of Hari, that even Sukadev, who was self-realized, was attracted to them. What was the point for him to study a book? Nirgranta api urukrama. This is a different kind of book. This is a beyond-the-book kind of book. What was the need for him to study Srimad Bhagavatam if he was already self-realized? Very wonderful question. And the answer is, itam guno hari. Such is the nature of the qualities of hari. That they are Nirgun, they are beyond the material qualities. So, this is the verse that Mahaprabhu was explaining at the request of Sanatana, the verse that he'd explained to Sarvalambachari, and a verse that he would explain later on again to Prakashananda Saraswati, each time with so many different meanings. But Kaviraj Krishnadas, the scholar and uh, most uh, merciful author of Chaitanya Charitamrita, has given at least one of those explanations in this section of Sanatana Siksha in Chaitanya Charitamrita. So after, uh, as he explains it there, after Mahabharata will explain each of the words and the various meanings that each word could have, then he began to explain the composite of the whole word, of, of all the words in the verse. So when he had explained Atma, Atmarama, the first verse, first word, Atma, among the different explanations he gave, one of which, one was Brahman. Atma means Brahman. So when he began to explain the whole verse, then he used this explanation. Atma refers to Brahman. He said, so, he said what? Shabdukohe Brahman Swayam Bhagavan. This Shabda, this sound, Brahman, which is synonymous with Atma, it means Ultimately, he says, this word means Swayam Bhagavan, Brahman. It comes to this, the Param Brahman. And then he quoted an important verse from Srimad Bhagavatam to substantiate his uh, position. He said, Vadanti tat tatva vidas tatvam yat jnanam advayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavan iti shabdite. A very important verse, and in his sense, this verse of Srimad Bhagavatam, spoken by Sutta Goswami in uh, maybe second chapter of the first canto, is a reiteration of this verse, Ameva Sameva Gre. So you see how this essence is coming again and again in Srimad Bhagavatam. This we should, we should trace out. It's a very, it's a difficult kind of idea to, to grasp. It is said, Legend has it that when uh, Vyas sought to compile 
Srimad Bhagavatam, he asked Brahma for a scribe, someone to write it out. And so uh, Brahma volunteered Ganesh. But Ganesh took exception and said, well, I'm a very smart person. Why should I have to just write out what somebody else says? But because Brahma had asked him, he was superior, he, he said, okay, I'll do it. But my condition is this. I will only write as long as he speaks. As soon as he stops speaking, that's it. I put down my pen, thinking, well, how long can the guy talk? And uh, so Vyasa said, okay, that's fine. <laughs> we'll do it like that. But I have one condition also, that whatever I say... You have to understand it before you write it down. <laughs> you have to understand what I say before you write it down. So he said, okay. So when he came to this verse, then, Vedantita Tattvavidas, it said, learned people, the, the, the men of wisdom, men and women of wisdom, they have concluded, Vedantita Tattvavidas, Tattvam Yadganam Advayam, that reality is Advaigyan, means non dual consciousness. Whatever that means, that's hard enough to understand, okay? And then he says, Brahmiti, Paramatmiti, Bhagavaniti, Shabdite. Known variously by, as Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagwan. It's all one, Advaigantat, but known as in different ways, by different, uh, as if it's a three in one or something. Or it's, it's, so it's complicated. So Vyas threw that out there. And then he thought for a long time what I'll write next, what I'll say next. Because it took Ganesh a while to figure out what the heck is he talking about here. So this is the way that he he got him to. Obviously, we also had to think a little bit for what he would say next. So he, some say, of course, legend has it, as I say, that giving this verse, then he he compiled the rest of it in his mind while while uh, Ganesh was trying to figure out the meaning. <laughs> then he was ready to go from there. So it's an important verse. Pakistan Sarsatak used to say the whole Bhagavatam can be explained from, from this verse, the whole tattva. And although we've heard from Chaitanya Charitamrita that this pala, this line, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, is the Paribhash Shloka of Srimad Bhagavatam, the key to understanding the whole of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Actually, forgive me that Jiva Goswami has made that statement. Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami actually emphasizes another statement. With this, referring to it the same way, but it says the same thing. And he refers to it in the context of explaining that Krishna is two Bhagavan Swayam, that Krishna is the original personality of God, and further, that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is that same Krishna. It's a shloka from 14th chapter of the Brahmavi Mohan Leela. And uh, basically, it's Brahma saying the same thing. There you'll find. In Chait- what? In Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, he's saying. This is the chapter, 14th chapter, which is the conclusion of the Brahma Mohan Leela, where Brahma was bewildered and uh, he tried to steal the cows, the calves and the cows of Krishna and, and put them in a cave and hide them. And, and Krishna manifested himself as so many cows and so many calves and, uh, and, and cowherd boys. And Brahma was not Moha, but Vimoha, very, very bewildered by the power of Krishna to do so. He couldn't understand it. At any rate, after it all, Krishna showed all these uh, manifestations of calves and coward boys, as you know, to be himself. He revealed them all as Vishnu Tattva. And he showed what? He showed that from Narayan, innumerable universes emanate. And Brahma knew something about that. But from me, innumerable Narayans emanate. So this was completely, this is an example of the extreme measure of Aishvarya in Vrindavan. We are often uh, led to believe that Vrindavan is devoid of Aishvarya, but you will find more Aishvarya in in, in Vrindavan than anywhere, than in Dwarka, Vaikuntha, the whole of the spiritual expanse put together. The reason that you don't notice it is because there's so much sweetness. There's a mountain of sweetness there. It's just like if in a mountain of sugar you put a cup of salt, then you won't notice it, right? But it's there. So in Dwarka, in Ayodhya, and in Baikuntha, you have greater proportion of salt and less proportion of, of sugar, so the salt is noticed more. But 
as you go up to Golok and to Vrindavan, you have more salt, more Aishvarya than in Vaikuntha. But you have so much more sugar, sweetness, that it's, it's, it's obscured. But it's there. And this is an instance, the instance, at least in the Prakat Lila that we know of, that there is no greater example, measure of Aishvarya exhibited by the uh, cowherd Krishna. Innumerable Narayans emanating from him, from whom innumerable universes are in which there are innumerable Brahmas and, and so on. So, uh, it is in that chapter, of course, that in the, in the context of the narrative of the Leela, that the point, the key to understanding the Tattva of Bhagavatam, Krishna's two Bhagavan, so I am that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of God, is played out in that Leela, that we find it. So, while this is true, Krishna's two Bhagavan, so I am, is the key to understanding the Bhagavatam, this verse is also, Vodanti Tattva Vidas, this verse, that Mahaprabhu said, is also sometimes thought of in that way. And it's important for us to note, when we understand it properly, and we understand it properly in relation to this verse of Chatur Shloka Srimad Bhagavatam, it's also saying the same thing. Among other things, it's saying, Krishna is too Bhagavan Swayam. So Mahaprabhu, after citing the verse, Padanti tat tat vidas tattvam yad jnanam advayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti shabdite. What did he say? He said, say, Advai Tattva Krishna, Swayam Bhagavan. He said, this Advai Tattva, Advai Gyan Tattva that this verse refers to, the non-dual consciousness, known variously as Brahman, Paramatma, and, and Bhagavan, is Krishna, is the Swayam Bhagavan, ultimately. And then, he said, he, he, he is present in all phases of time. Teen Kale, three times, what? Past, present, and future. And this is all, past, present, and future, is all in relation to the world, the material world. In spiritual life, then, we have eternal, eternal present. In material life, we have past, present, and future. So all phases of time means in relation to the, before the world is manifest, during its manifestation, and after its annihilation. Krishna is saying, here, I existed. Aham evasam evagre. Aham evasam evagre. I, aham, eva. Don't doubt it. Be certain about this, he said. I, for sure, without a doubt, he's emphasizing, I existed. Aham evasam evagre, before, before I existed. And existence also, oh, Srinivasa Charja has written a tika on the Chattu Shlok of Srimad Bhagavatam, the great Srinivasa Charja. And not on the whole Bhagavatam, just these four slokas. There he says that existence, I existed, it also means I shine forth. I shine forth. What does he mean by that? I shine forth. Before everything, I shined out. That means, and he says, nanyad yat sat asat param. And nobody else. In other words, I existed alone. Yat sat asat param. Beyond sat and asat. Superior to sat and asat. And that can be explained in different ways. What does he mean by sat? What does he mean by asat? But with regard to existing and the idea of shining forth, what does it mean? He says, I existed alone. I alone existed before. I alone, before the world was manifest, shined forth. What is the implication of this? It's a very fine theistic rendering of the word existence. To shine forth. It means, this is, this is Bhagwan. First of all, first of all, it must be Bhagwan because Bhagwan shines in comparison to Brahman. We think of Brahman as light, and it's been depicted as such in language. But Bhagwan is said to shine. How? How does Bhagwan shine? 
and we find it in Rasalila, the best example of this, that he shines in relation to his Shakti. There's the moon and its shine. <laughs> and so they're one and different. So in Brahman, we don't find the manifestation of the Shakti. It may be light, but it's not very shiny. <laughs> it doesn't shine forth. Shine forth means that the absolute, the Advaigyan Tattva, is most brilliant, most attractive, the most fully understood in the light of its Shakti. When Absolute is viewed in light of its Shakti, then we know it fully. Do you understand? So Krishna, it means Krishna here, ultimately, through the eyes of Radha, that is seeing the Absolute, what is Advaigyantattva, in the fullest sense. So when he says, I existed before and nobody else alone, it doesn't mean without his Shakti. The very word shine means that with my Shakti. If the moon says, I existed before all the other planets, we know with moonshine, by which we know the moon. If the moon didn't shine, what would we know about it? So how can we know the absolute in the fullest sense? In consideration of its Shakti. And here means Swarup Shakti. So Swarup Shakti, this is the, as Prabhupada termed it, the internal energy of Bhagwan. So it's it's his own nature. So when he says he's alone, it's like you say, well, uh, uh, Jiva Goswami has given an example in this regard. He says, if you say that the king did nothing today, it doesn't mean he didn't eat or sleep. It means of his kingly duties, he didn't do any of those. But of course he ate and slept. So he says, when Bhagwan says, I'm alone, it doesn't mean he's without his devotees. The implication being, they're as close to him as eating and sleeping is to a person. You cannot live without eating and sleeping. And Bhagwan cannot live without his devotees. There is no meaning to Krishna without love of Krishna that is embodied in a Surup Shakti. This is the Achintubeda Beda Tattva of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Love of Krishna corresponds with Krishna. And love in the heart of the devotee has a corresponding object of love. And the absolute manifests itself accordingly. So these, therefore we're told, if you want to know Krishna, where to look? You must look in the heart of the devotee. That's where he is. And that's where all these leelas are going on. Don't be troubled trying to figure out when this happened in history and... Go dig up and find evidence of Dwarka and so forth. This isn't necessary. It all exists in the hearts of his devotees. These leelas are going on. Try to go there. There's no place where the Lord is more present than in the heart of the devotee, more so than in the deity. After all, the deity comes from the heart of the devotee who establishes the temple. Right? <laughs> so, of course, this is Vaishnavism. This is a difficult point for people to understand. Krishna himself emphasizes when he emphasizes when he says, "Worship of my devotee." That is re real worship of me. Those who say they love me don't don't love me, but those who love my devotee, they they have love for me. Shudamarsh used to tell us that Krishna has the problem that he wants to please his devotees. Of course, the devotees will never take any service from Krishna, but if we become servants of the devotees. And we can fulfill Krishna's ambition to serve them because while they do their bhajan, then they need some hot water. Somebody has to bring that. They try not to have anybody bring that. But we steal their coil away like we did from Maharaj. Not because our solar system will go down. That's just a pretext. Because we want to bring him hot water. <laughs> In this way, we will be the agents through which Krishna pleases his devotee. Some, they, they need something, some maintenance, some food, something. They're not concerned about that. They're not preoccupied with that. But we know they need, we come in there, do a little service. This will make us dear to Krishna. Because this is the most dear thing to Krishna's heart. He wants to serve his devotees, but they make it so difficult for him. Hmm? This is our way in, so to speak.
So here the implication is that when he says, I existed alone, it's like saying, I have a form that's sometimes referred to as nirguna. It means not a form of material qualities. So I am alone means I'm not with any, any of these mundane creatures. Brahma, you are not there either. You're also a mundane creature. Not like that. People of my own kind. You know, when the Kumaras, they came to the gates of Baikuntha and they weren't allowed to get in. But then Bhagavan Narayan was aroused to deal with the situation. And he came to the gate. And what did he say? He said, oh, I apologize. And these Kumaras were very smart. They're big gyanis. So what did they, what, what they could understand the implication of what he said. He said, after all, Bhagavan didn't offend them, didn't stop them from coming in the door. The gatekeepers did. But when Narayan said, oh, I'm sorry, I have offended you, they understood. He thinks these people to be like him, his very self. He's saying, they and I are one. Just like if you love someone, you say, Agni and I are one. You get my position from him, I'll give you his position. It's the same. We're on the same page. We are one. This is the idea. So the, the Kumaras could understand, we've made a big mistake here. In cursing the gatekeepers, we've cursed people who Bhagwan sees as non different from himself in a context of love. You know, it said that real knowledge involves the interpenetration between the knower and the object of knowledge. This is really only accomplished in love. That is the interpenetration between the object of knowledge and the knower. Again, we're back to this point. Love is real knowing. As it said, if you love someone, then they'll tell you all their secrets. And it's practical. <laughs> so this is the way of knowing comprehensively, not by just eating brain food or something like this, or exercising one's head, but by exercising one's heart. So at any rate, these Kumaras could understand this point. This is a point that's being made here when he says, I'm alone. I shone forth. How did he shine forth? He's differentiating himself, in one sense, from Brahman, as Bhagwan, as, for that matter, the support of Brahman. Therefore, he says, sat-asat. Sat-asat, one, one meaning is, sat-asat. Cause and effect. Cause and effect. This is one meaning. Jiyugasami has given this meaning. Cause and effect. Cause and effect. Effect is the world. Janmadhyasayataha. As the sutras say. Brahman is that cause from which the world Janmadi has come into being and everything that goes with it. And he's saying, Param. Sat asat param. I'm superior, Brahmanohi, Pratishtaham, as he says in the Gita in the 14th chapter. Brahman, that is subordinate to me. I am that I am. As Brahman is underlying the whole material manifestation, I'm underlying Brahman, I'm its support. Well, it's my position. So he's saying here that I existed alone. I shined forth means, I'm Shamsundar. I exist in my own world, my own realm, with my own devotees. There I shine most fully in their company. They and I are one. And my position is Param in relation to Sat and Asat. I'm superior to Brahman. And I'm superior to all of the, all the avatars that come through the Purusha, the Paramatma. And what do they do? Yada, yada, hi dhanamasya glanir bhavati bharata. They deal with sat and asat. They establish the sat, the truth. And they do away with asat, the illusion of the jiva's interaction with matter. He's saying, I don't do that. Because well, I'm the lover of the, of the gopis. That's who I am. That's what I do. I'm not involved in that even, which all the avatars do. I'm Swayam Bhagavan. I shine most beautifully in the company of the other Brajsundaris, 
and all the Braj inhabitants. So before, because I that existed, and Paschadaham Yare Chacha Yobasishetasosmi Aham. During the whole show of the world, I existed as well. It's not that I existed, then the world came, and then as, as its origin, I didn't exist. He's also saying with regard to the origin, yes, it's true, Brahman is that from which the world comes. But if we look really carefully at the world, what do we say? We say, what does the world consist of? Things or feeling? Obviously, it's feeling that the world is all about. Without feeling, there's no meaning. Matter doesn't matter unless we think about it, feel about it. So, world is about feeling. Just like, for example, let's say, I gave the example in, in the, my book, my first book, Ross, like, if the sportsman hits the bat and hits a home run, then he hits the bat at a certain velocity and the ball goes at a certain trajectory for so many feet and lands in a certain particular place and, and so forth. That, that's what's happening. But what's really happening is the emotions of the people. That's what it's all about. Who cares, you know, what exactly point? That's an afterthought. But there's a feeling to the whole thing that that's what it's all about. That's what it, <sighs> he hit the home run and, <gasps> and all the, the emotion. That's what life is about. So, so the world is about feeling. It's about taste. So Raso Vaisa in Anandavali of Tartareya, we, we hear that Brahman is Ananda. Brahman is Rasa. The world is about a semblance of the Rasa. Rasa, Rasa that I am all about, which is what? Only possible if there's me and my Shakti. If there's a Vishaya Luma and an Ashraya Luma, these two together. There's a, we're alone in love. <laughs> like when in love, you say we were alone. And there's two of you, but you were, you were all alone. <laughs> you were all alone, but you, were, you weren't lonely. Something like that. So again, the world, yes, I, he says, I'm the source. Before the world, I existed. And look what it's about. It's all about a feeling. It's all about the semblance of rasa, that I am, I am that. Janmadyasya, Bhagavatam says also, Jiva Goswami says, that of the mukya rasa. The origin of that is in me. From here, everything is coming. So this is another way of looking at it. All the feeling, which is what life is about, it finds its perfection in Radha and Govinda. So I am the source. I, before the world, I existed in this, and the world manifested. What do we find it's all about? It's all about this. So who else could it be from? <laughs> it's all about love, and they're all chasing after what I'm really about. So Krishna is saying to Brahma, who else could be the source? I know it's hard to believe, I'm standing here right now before you in a medium-sized form. <laughs> in other words, in a measurable form. You can measure my form. I'm, I'm, I'm appearing before you, and I'm the source of the whole world. I know it's hard to understand, but try to examine the nature of the world and examine me, and then you can make the connection. The world is about love. It's moving for love. We move in this world in search of love and we cannot rest until we find it. And when we find it, then we start to move again. In another way, on the basis of love, love is not a static thing, it's a dynamic thing. So love moves us to move in a way that's, that's an expression of our fulfillment. Previous to finding love, we move out of emptiness. So as we study the world, we, can, we see this, we can understand how something about the nature of the Absolute, right? It's not moving out of necessity, of need, but out of fullness. This is Leela. So Brahma's, Krishna is saying to Brahma, yeah, it's, it's hard to figure out, but I know, but, it, but it, take it from me. And here's the good reasoning. See what the world's about. It's all about this ultimately, about feeling. You see me. I'm the prince. I'm the, the king of love. And I live in the country of love. 
with my uh, Lakshmi Sahasrasata Sambrahma Sevimano. Brahma repeated it <laughs> in Brahma Samhita. All these people there, all these cowards, gopas and gopis, they love me like nothing else. And I love them. We live in a pact of love. Again, they are to me inseparable from me as my eating and sleeping is, as a person's eating and sleeping. They're my very life, my heartbeat. We talked about Brahma Mimohan Leela briefly. Here's an example. How well Krishna knew those gopas. He could manifest a form, a replica of those gopas and those calves. It was so perfect that the cows and the mothers couldn't tell the difference. I mean, that's a pretty good cloning incident, you know, <laughs> example. <laughs> and no defects, you know, later on or anything. They were, and the only difference was that they loved them more. And then this, somebody as only as astute as Balaram could figure it out. Something's going on here. This is incredible. Look at how these cows love these calves. Look at how these mothers are loving their sons. Normally they would have a relationship with their sons, which was a sancharibhav, a relationship that served to augment their stayibhav, their relation, their love for Krishna. Now they're expressing a stayibhav in relation to their sons. This doesn't make any sense. Unless the sons somehow, Krishna's, be, what's going on? Of course, Baladev was not there that day. It was some kind of a, some kind of a birthday for him. I mean, they used to, in the local, they celebrate the, not just every year the birthday, but um, the, uh, the constellation of the birth. And so, anyway, it was kind of a semi-birthday. And he had to stay back. He had to stay back early in the morning. Mm. Baldev will come every morning and blow his, his horn, his buffalo horn. Everyone rises to the Savior, right? <laughs> he blows his horn, everyone comes for service. As Mara said, he blows his flute, Krishna, and everybody becomes bewildered. Everybody comes to consciousness of my Savior when Balaram blows his horn. All millions of cowherds who are just waiting for the call burst out of their houses come to Nanda Maharaj's courtyard to call for Krishna. But this morning, Krishna himself blew the buffalo horn. Balaram didn't show. He wrote a note. He sent a note to Krishna. I'm stuck here with one of my relatives who's sitting on the couch like a, like a couch potato, immobile, just sitting there, expecting me to, you know, to deal with his social concerns rather than just run out and sport and what's really fun. You know, what kid wants to stay home <laughs> for some boring family, you know, reunion kind of thing. <laughs> Even in the context of a family reunion, the kids are going to find a way to steal off and, and do something. So he said, I'm, I'm stuck here by family obligations on this day. And I know I heard that horn. I know you've got something going on that's really exciting. Anyway, don't wait for me. Go for it. And of course... Off they went with a packed lunch and, and so forth. So Baldi wasn't present, but, but in, a, in, a, in a context of a, of a year, this is coming to his attention. What the heck's going on here? These mothers and these cows are loving their boys and calves as if you know, they have a stayibhav for their sons rather than a samcharibhav, which will augment their stayibhav for Krishna. It must be some mystic power of Krishna. Baladev exhibits Dasyabhav here. My master has shown some mystic power. So, at any rate, the point is that these boys, Krishna knew their hearts and these calves so well. The person is their heart, so he could replicate them to the, to the extent that the mothers and the cows could not distinguish. Still, of course, even though he made perfect replicas, he couldn't be satisfied with the replicas. He had to have the boys themselves, so of course they were ultimately freed, but he had to teach Brahma a lesson as well. So point is here that what this, these people who are embodiments of his Swarup Shakti, they're none different from him. In his company, in their company, he shines out. In their company, he, he, he tastes love, that the world is all about pursuing. And so he must be, he says to Brahma, think about it. 
Who else could be the source of the world? It must be me. <laughs> because this is what I'm all about, and this is what the world is all about. The world is all in pursuit of love. So I existed before the world, and I exist when the world is manifest. It's me and what I'm about that the whole world is after. I'm existing in that sense. And the world is manifest by the Purusha. So he's saying, I'm superior to the cause, Brahman. I'm the superior idea of the cause. And to the Paramatma, through, through so many avatars come again, Sadasat, do the good and do away with the bad. I'm beyond all that. Paramatma is my manifestation, is partial manifestation of myself. Brahman is a partial manifestation of myself. I existed before, I exist during, and he says, I exist after. Mahaprabhu said, when explaining to Prakashananda, he said, I, 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 three times. This is a standard in the literature. Say three times for emphasis. I, I, I. He's also saying, I, 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 means there's no meaning to I unless there's a you. You have to tell some, you know, there's I and there's there's I and there's you. There's no I alone. I and you. So in Brahman, there's no I and there's no you. So you should know I'm the source of the world, in the real sense, in the fullest sense. Aham sarva se In that sense, I'm I'm everything. In Brahman, there's no I and there's no you. So anyway, I'm the support of Brahman. I, the Paramatma is my partial manifestation. I existed before. I exist during. And after it's all wound up, the world, back into Brahman, or into Paramatma, I continue to exist. I exist, Tinkali, in all phases of time, before the world, during the world, after the world. I exist in a, in a brilliant way, shining in the company of my, uh, my Swarup Shakti, and moving and dancing, and uh, in, in a compact of love, that uh, is uh, uh, that represents that which everyone is seeking in the world. Hmm? He's saying, "I exist for love." That's the reason for existence. He's saying, and because of that, because I exist for love and joy, that means I have no purpose, nothing to accomplish. You understand? Lokavatu lilakaivalya. There's no purpose for me to accomplish. Love is beyond reason, beyond purpose. It's it's beyond need. It's it's a state of absolute fulfillment. But he's saying, because I am so, because I am joy, ananda, therefore I'm also cognizant. And therefore, I also exist. Something can exist, but it doesn't necessarily have to be cognizant. But if something is cognizant, it must also exist. Something can exist and be cognizant, but it doesn't have to be joyful. But if something, if that thing is joyful, then it must be cognizant and it must exist. Therefore, because I am Bhagwan, so I am Bhagwan, and I am joy itself, therefore, I have a manifestation of myself that represents cognizance and one that represents existence. These are known as Paramatma and Brahman. These are three phases of myself, all of which existence, cognizance, and joy are personified in me. But not everybody is... People make different approaches to me, and they aren't all approaching out of love. And therefore, Paramatma and Brahman, these are other features of myself that, that represent ex, my existential reality, my cognitive reality, approached by jnanis and yogis, respectively. But the whole thing, he, this is, he's instructing Brahma about bhakti, the whole thing is in me. And this is how you should approach me, as he will explain as these four slokas proceed. Through bhakti means through love. So we run out of light and out of time. Stop there. Any question? Yes, Maharaj. 
you mentioned about uh, about and uh, I think it was the Brahma Vimohan Leela day. That was the same day as the killing of Agasura. Right. When, when Balaram was it was Balaram's appearance day and he was stuck at home. And so um, and you mentioned that I think you mentioned that Balaram told Krishna that he should play the horn, the bugle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The I'm stuck here. Uh, yeah. So, where's that pastime there? Uh, Gopal Champu. Ah, also, another another aspect of Purva Champu. Yes. Oh. Yeah, sweet. Ji Gopal Champu ki jai. Ji Jiva Sami ki jai. Krishna Balaram ki jai. Go to Premanandi. Go.